Investors like you have a problem. Today, most portfolios only include stocks and bonds. While it's currently performing, it's a strategy that Goldman Sachs predicted in 2023 to underperform for the next decade. Luckily, our sponsor, Masterworks Advisors, focuses on a non-traditional alternative asset, helping over 15,000 investors diversify a portion of their overall portfolios with blue-chip post-war contemporary art. Over 60% of wealth managers surveyed by Deloitte have already integrated art into their wealth management offering. And by signing up at masterworks.com slash advisors with code FREE, you can talk to a registered investment advisor representative who deals exclusively with this alternative asset class. So schedule a free same-day advisory call with Masterworks Advisors just by going to masterworks.com slash advisors and using promo code FREE. That's masterworks.com slash advisors promo code FREE. This advertisement relates to the provision of advisory services by Masterworks Advisors, LLC, and is not intended to offer or solicit investment in any securities and is not investment advice. Masterworks Advisors is affiliated with Masterworks. into the DNVR Draft Podcast presented by Manscaped. I'm Henry Chisholm, and as always, I'm joined by Andre Simone, and we have a special guest today. Jake Schwanitz is back. You guys heard from him before the draft, mm-hmm. and you've been reading all of his stuff at uh, thednvr.com. How's it going, Jake? Doing well, man. Thanks, for, thanks again for having me on, guys. I'm super excited. Oh, yeah. It's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, dude. Um, Dre, is there anything on your mind that we need to get to before we talk football? No. No, no, not not really. I saw Joe Flacco signed with a team. Oh. While I I was recording my first podcast of the day, I haven't been able to look into that because I've been dealing with technical difficulties. But if I'm not mistaken, the Jets signed Joe Flacco. So I guess that's some relatable. And uh, Josh Rosen's on the trade market, which I guess is somewhat related to the draft pod. So, no, I guess those are all my thoughts there, Hank. Okay, I'm glad we got those covered. Also, yeah, Joe good. Flacco getting 1.5 to 4.5 million. That seems wide range. Just a little bit. Lo- that is a very wide range. Like if it's 1.5 million for Joe Flacco, that's kind of insanely low, right? Just a little you bit think. of insurance. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. It really is. Uh. I don't know. It's just got to be so crazy to be Joe Flacco, though. And all of these contracts, he's been making like 20-something million a year. He's yeah. so used to those game checks being more than his full season salary. What's that That's like? That's true. <laughs> uh, true. Yeah. yeah, I certainly can't relate to, <laughs> to that. But, hey, I mean, you got to take a job some way, somehow. He had this job available. Why not, yeah. right? Yeah. Isn't it surprising, though, that he actually got a job? I mean, from last year. It is, especially since, boy, the, the more quality quarterbacks we have, the more <sighs> – diversity of quarterback play we're seeing okay so quick update on the podcast uh the internet went out we had some issues and we're just going to say that that was the universe telling us that nobody wants to hear about joe flacco anymore here here so no more joe flacco we're talking nfc west in this first segment and uh where do you guys want to start which team really jumps out to you is one you gotta you gotta you gotta get your thoughts out I'd love to start in Arizona, honestly. Ooh, let's do it. 
Yeah. Lay it on us, Jake. What, what interested you in what they did? So, I mean, just the whole off season, um, the way you get better in the NFL is you have blue chip players. I thought they added two this off season. You added the Andre Hopkins, obviously. Yeah. And at eighth overall, you get Isaiah Simmons. Yeah. Um, so I think those are two difference makers that can immediately make an impact on both sides of the ball. And then, you know, they picked eighth overall. They didn't pick again until 72, but you still get Josh Jones. Um, I don't know if he's ready to start right away, but mm-hmm. if you're able to solidify one of those tackle spots and get into, you know, 10 personnel, 11 personnel a lot more and kind of get back to the air raid that uh, Kingsbury wants to run, that could be a real fascinating pick because yeah. it could get them back to what they're built to do, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I mean, that's that's right. They got two first-round grades for me and maybe the biggest acquisition of the entire offseason. So you can't really beat that. Um, then last year, you know, I was never the biggest fan of the Kingsbury regime and how that was all built. But last year, I believe they had the highest uh, grade of any franchise for me as well. You're talking about a team that brought home something like six uh top hundred grades and, you know, two first round grades with no second round pick, as you mentioned, it's another a, a draft for me and four guys in my top hundred, they're able to add some beef on that defensive line, which I think in this division with the emphasis on the running games that you have in Seattle, San Francisco, even the Rams, everything's built around the running game. You better have those big bodies up front. Like you throw to Richard Lawrence, you could do a lot worse than adding them to a three man front in that Vance Joseph defense. Yeah. I think an underrated kind of quietly, a very nice draft and picking up Isaiah Simmons, taking, advantage of him dropping into their lap uh you know sometimes you just gotta take what the draft gives you and they did a great job of that yeah and just to run through their picks real quick you know first round they take isaiah simmons third round josh jones the tackle fourth round lucky foto fourth round richard lawrence sixth round evan weaver the linebacker yeah. Cal, yeah. seventh round eno benjamin a guy we like from arizona state i mean those are all guys that we were talking about saying that we like sure they only had six picks and only two in the first two rounds, but, mm-hmm. or one in the first two rounds, two in right. the first three rounds, they seem to have come away with quite a bit of talent considering what they were given. Yeah. Lots of guys who can contribute pretty quickly in their careers. Um, and yeah, even Weaver and Eno Benjamin, man. I mean, Benjamin could be competing for real touches uh, early on because yeah, maybe he's not the most explosive. Maybe we didn't love his, uh, his ceiling, but he, his floor is fairly high. And then Weaver, Weaver will be so interesting in this defense in the modern NFL. Cause where does this guy fit? He was a tackling machine at Cal. He's got kind of an awkward frame, but he gets to spots a little more seamlessly than you'd expect, even though it looks a little ugly when he gets there. So, yeah, and if you were ever going to put Weaver at linebacker in the NFL, you better pair him with someone like Isaiah Simmons. So they've got that down pat. Yeah, I mean, going back to Eno Benjamin, I'm surprised that he was dropping that far. I mean, you look at the running backs taken in the fourth, fifth rounds. Um, I didn't watch them all, but I thought, you know, Benjamin showed a lot on film that, you know, he could contribute in the passing game and he's got that kind of ability to break tackles, you know, that contact balance. I thought that Mm -hmm. that would have been more coveted than some of the other guys that were taken that really are just projects. Yeah, for sure. For sure, right. He's like Jason Huntley out of New Mexico State was taken two rounds ahead of him. So really goes to tell you um, beauty in the eye of the beholder at running back for sure. Yeah. Yeah. You know, when we talk about the Broncos, 
I think a, a lot of the conversation comes back to, well, if Drew Locke is good, then there's really no ceiling. Like, if he is actually a great quarterback, then this can be a great team. Uh, and on the other side of that, when we're talking about Drew Locke, we see that he has all the weapons around him. He has the defense. He has Pat Shermer as his offensive coordinator. If he can't succeed, then where will he succeed? He has all these weapons. How close are we to saying that same thing about Arizona and Kyler Murray? And do you think that they've built that roster up to a place where we should be seeing, seeing Kyler Murray kind of take over if he is the guy? All the success he had in year one, and I think not that the sky's the limit now, but it, it, he should have a really good year. Um, you know, you look at second-year quarterbacks like Lamar Jackson and his jump. I think we could see a comparable jump for Kyler this year in terms of production and just the playmaking ability. I think he's going to be able to really settle in and show why he was a winner and really kind of dominate at the next level here. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And I actually had a chance to go back this week and watch just a couple of Kyler Murray games just because I was curious. You know, you catch bits and pieces. But to actually watch a full game, watch where he's play calling, I mean, he was – he was protected. It was a lot of RPOs. It was a lot of one read stuff. There, were, there didn't seem like there were too many opportunities for him to change plays, to adjust things. It was very much, you're going to this receiver. I, I don't think I saw him take his eyes off the receiver. He was going to, or yeah, take his eyes off a receiver and move to another receiver and throw the ball, like go through his progressions. But he wasn't asked to. And, and some of the th- balls that he was throwing were just right on the money. And, and it'll be, interesting to me to see what this offense looks like whether it does take a step in terms of what it asks Kyler to do mentally next year as well yeah and then looking just at last year's class I mean they drafted two receivers last year uh mm-hmm. King Butler didn't see the field but Andy Isabella had an impact in some places so you still got some young guys that are up and coming this receiving core could really see a uh, new life this year especially with Hawkins at one you get in the slot, able to get him uh, more comfortable in what he's used to do. Could be a real big year for them. All right. Uh, Let's move along to Seattle now. Um, Oh, wait, no, we didn't do grades. Six picks, Mm. Simmons, Jones, Fotu, Lawrence, Weaver, Benjamin. What do do they grade out for you, Dre? Yeah, it's an A for me, as I mentioned. Two first-round caliber players and four uh, guys who I'm projecting as future starters uh, grading out in the top 100. I think considering where they pick, that's a really good haul. Yeah, I mean, I'd have to agree. An A, um, even Richard Lawrence and Leckie Fotu, like we talked about, these are guys that can come in and make an impact. And I think uh, A is the right grade. Yeah. All right. Uh, now to Seattle. First round, Jordan Brooks. Second round, Daryl Taylor, defensive end from Tennessee. Third round, Damian Lewis, the guard from LSU. Fourth round, Colby Parkinson, the Stanford tight end. Fourth round, DJ Dallas, the Miami running back. Fifth round, Alton Robinson, Syracuse defensive end. Sixth round, Freddie Swain, the receiver from Florida. And seventh round, Stephen Sullivan, the tight end from LSU. Um, when we were talking about the Cardinals picks, I mentioned that those are all guys that we've been talking about. This is a list of guys who we did not really talk about all that much at all. 
Nope. Uh, one top 100 prospect in the entire class for me. Only guy drafted in the first round to not rank in my top 100. You guessed it, Jordan Brooks. Uh, yeah, it's to me, it's it's a true F grade. Um, I get that everyone is functional and fits their system, but they are finding guys who are scheme fits in and overlooking some great limitations either athletically or in how well-rounded their game is. And when they're going to be in those tough games, those tough four or five games where you can't just play your style of football, you're going to be forced to play with your left hand a little bit, not just play with your dominant hand all the time. They're going to be in real trouble if they just keep building this franchise this way. And I think they're getting away with murder. They've been having terrible drafts for years and they've gotten away with the fact that they drafted Russell Wilson. Like, look, that was a phenomenal draft pick. They've had a few more like Richard Sherman, but they also, a lot of this team was built on some fine free agency acquisitions and Michael Bennett and Cam Chancellor. And, you know, Earl Thomas at 15th overall, that was the right pick in the first round. I don't know that they've made the right pick in the first round since. And I think it's really capping out where this team can go long term. They're just not taking advantage of that value that the draft gives them year after year. Yeah, I mean, super puzzling. It really kind of reminds me of the Russell Wilson draft. I think it was 2012 where, you know, you reach for Bruce Irvin in the first round and the whole draft top to bottom was just, I mean, it, it got an F grade back then. And this is pretty similar just because, like you said, Andre, they're kind of just going for scheme fits. Mm-hmm. And that's not really how you should be drafting. I mean, it is nice, I guess, for the way your team is constructed right now. But as you mentioned, I mean, what if Russell Wilson goes down or what if you're in a tight game um, and you're kind of being shut down and not being allowed to do those things that you're built upon right. really puts you in a tough situation. So, I mean, it's worked for them to this far. Um, but if Russell Wilson does go down, how many games does this team even win? Just it's, it's such a tough roster. It's a great question, especially in this division. And I mean, the pick I maybe hated the most is Damian Lewis in the early third. How many talented offensive linemen were still left, not just at guard, at tackle? Guys who you can move inside, groom uh, in a couple of years, and then they could kind of solve the problem the Seahawks have had forever on their bookend uh, pass protectors. It just, yeah, it just, uh, and we know they're, they're outside thinkers. They do things their own way, and I I commend them for it. I don't, from my perspective, this is not the way to do it. Though. I would agree. Um, yeah, I, I pretty. I think that pretty much sums everything up. Um, F grades for both then? Yeah. Yeah, probably. I mean, it, it's just super tough with the players that you drafted. Like you said, we haven't been talking about these guys. So, I mean, I, I'm not going to lie here. I barely watched most of these guys that they drafted. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, I'm fairly familiar with all of them. It's just I see massive limitations, uh, you know, across the board. Jordan Brooks, I was talking with a friend of mine who's a Texas Tech fan. Uh, you guys remember Dakota Allen from Last Chance U? He comes back to Texas Tech, goes into the draft last year. So they played, Jordan Brooks and Dakota Allen played together. Dakota Allen's a seventh round pick last year. You watch them on the field. Allen was the far better linebacker on that Texas Tech defense a year ago. Seventh rounder. And now you're drafting him 27th ahead of Patrick Queen. Inexplicable. Uh, You know, Daryl Taylor, he had a good 
2018, 2019, a little down. He's a situational pass rusher. He can, he can have some games where he has three sacks and go through a month with no sacks. <laughs> it's not, not good value, man. And Damian Lewis, I told you it's a terrible pick. I mean, across the board, they're gambling on upside. They're overdoing it on tight end. They're going after the same old running back who's a converted wide receiver. That's a classic Seahawks move. When there were guys like Eno Benjamin still around, a great running back still around. Yeah, it just, uh, I just don't get it. Steven Sullivan, tight end out of LSU. That's not the tight end out of LSU I would have drafted, guys. <laughs> yeah, true. You know, uh, Sullivan, you put on 50 pounds. Maybe he's a good left tackle. I don't know about tight end, though. Yikes. Yeah. Wow. Uh, you didn't mention Colby Parkinson, who uh, is from Stanford, somebody who I am familiar with. But right. I'm pretty sure he was one of those guys. I would bring up Colby Parkinson, I'd bring up Jacob Breland, and then you, Dre, would shut both those ideas down immediately. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? At this point, let the Seahawks do what they want to do. This is insanity. Yep. And that's why we're going to move along to a team that has been doing things. Well, I think they've been doing things right with San Francisco, the 49ers um, only had five picks in the draft, two in the first round took Javon Kinlaw and Brandon Ayuk there. Didn't pick again until day three. They took Colton McKivitz in the fifth round, the tackle from West Virginia, Charlie Warner, the tight end from Georgia in the sixth, and then Jawan Jennings from Tennessee, the receiver mm-hmm. in the seventh round. Yeah, and while it's not built into my grade, we should mention they uh, traded a third rounder for Trent Williams, um, which was key with Joe Staley kind of announcing his retirement on the second day of the draft. Yeah, are they doing things the right way? Because I see a lot of how Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch are doing things in how, you know, I grew up on Mike Shanahan coaching the Broncos. I see some of the similar mistakes in how Mike was building the Broncos and maybe getting too cute, too system fitty, and not taking advantage of, uh, of the value in the draft. Kinlaw, I think, is a good pick at 14. Decent value. I would have gone receiver. I would much rather, and I've said this time and time again, Jerry, Judy, or CeeDee Lamb. And then in the late first, I take Ross Blacklock or someone like that to patch up the interior D-line. Then Kinlaw in the top 15 and then fall back on Brandon Ayuk. I think you missed an opportunity to make your your offense really dynamic by doing that. Um, And then it's, you know, few picks here, few picks. So I just... Yeah, I, I guess they took care of job. They kind of took care of business. It's around a C grade, but nothing more, nothing less. Yeah, I think also another interesting thing about their draft is they didn't pick in any of their original slots. All these draft mm, picks were traded point. for. So, you know, we coming into the draft, we said they had to move around and get more picks. Well, they moved around, but they still ended up with only five picks. So that was interesting in and of itself. Um, going to Ayuk though, I actually really like this fit just because he is a catch and run receiver yes. and I'm going to trust Kyle Shanahan to scheme him open. So, right. you know, you're going to get him in space, get him the ball and similar to like a Debo Samuel, you know, get him on reverses, just get the ball mm-hmm. in his hands. So I do like that fit. Um, but really I think this draft boils down for me, just the first two picks. I mean, like you, I mean, they have George Kittle, so how much is Colton McKivitz and Charlie Warner even going to contribute here? Those are pretty much just depth draft uh, picks. Um, the first two picks in Kinlaw and Ayuk are really what this draft class is relying on. Right. Yeah. 
Yeah, and you know they they take two more receivers, Brandon Ayuk and Juwan Jennings. Last year they took two receivers with uh, Debo Samuel in the second, Jalen Hurd in the third. Year before that they take Dante Pettis in the second round. That's a whole lot of draft capital to be spending on receivers in a three-year period. Well, and then you had Richie James in the seventh round. Yep. Yeah. No, and I mean, some of those guys, I do worry that uh, Ayuk reminds me a little too much of Dante Pettis. I've said that before, too. Um, You know, guys who are much better with the ball in their hands, and they couldn't figure out how to use Dante Pettis. So I wonder if they've learned their lesson and will figure out how to use, uh, how to scheme Ayuk open as well. Because it's true, that scheme fit could be perfect, but uh, yeah, I wonder. All right. Um, What are we giving the 49ers for grades? I'd probably say C minus. Um, I mean, like I said, it really just counts on those first two guys. You're really just drafting for depth mm-hmm. after that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a it's a C. It's on the nose for me. You know, you you did the minimum requirements, no more than that. All right. I think I I, I like those grades. Uh, Javon Kinlaw, take him at uh, fourteen. Right? Was that fourteen? Yeah. 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 That's a. Uh, I mean. Decent value, same thing with Ayuk. Not no. anything special, though. Moving on to the Los Angeles Rams. This is a fun one. Uh, they start off in the second round by taking Cam Akers and Van Jefferson. Yeah. Here's, here's a question. Which one of those two do you think has a bigger impact in year one? I think it's Akers. I think it's Akers. You know, we really like the kid on this show. Uh, there's no Todd Gurley. I'm not sure they're super high on Daryl Henderson. I think he kind of disappointed him last year, and they're really counting on Akers to kind of uh, do his thing on these, uh, you know, that zone scheme where running the ball is so key. But Jefferson, while not the pick I would have made in the second round, whew, He's a nice fit. You put a, a route runner like that and all these tight sets with all that extra space to work with, I I can see the fit. I'm very intrigued by that. But both those guys, I think, will contribute very early, in some cases much earlier than some of the other higher drafted uh, you know, um, skill position players. Yeah, I thought Jefferson was a great pick. I love the fit there. Um, you know, people, a lot of people – uh, thought he was one of the best blocking wide receivers in the draft. And like you mentioned with those tight sets, I mean, he's going to be used in, in the running game fairly often. Yes. yes. Um, an interesting nugget that I picked up from listening to Daniel Jeremiah and move the sticks. He said he talked to Les Snead and Les Snead said that they had uh, Jefferson clocked as the fastest wide receiver in mobile due to the zebra tracking technology. You know, this oh. is a guy that didn't run at the 40. He didn't have a pro day. Right. You know, this is a senior bowl class that had Denzel Mims, Michael Pittman, Devin Duvernay. Yep. They had Van Jefferson tracked as the fastest wide receiver. So I thought that was pretty interesting. Yeah, that's a really nice tidbit. I wouldn't have guessed that by looking at him either, that he was some, you know, super gifted. It's more the route running and ability to get open, get back to the ball, that kind of thing. You add a speed element like that, then then you might really have something. Yeah. Yeah, and I really like him next to Cooper Cup, too. I mm-hmm. think that that combination of route running is just going to be something else. Yeah. Moving into the third round, though, uh, that's when they address the defense. Terrell Lewis, the outside linebacker from Alabama, uh, 
and then also Terrell Burgess, the safety from Utah. Yeah, the Terrells. Lewis has incredible upside as a really competent outside linebacker who can do a lot of things, but can intriguing upside as a pass rusher coming outside. His big question, can he stay healthy? Um, because there were times at Alabama, there were times at the Senior Bowl where he looked, he looked like a top 20 pick, that kind of talent. But we only saw flashes of that. And Burgess, guy who draft Twitter completely... Uh, fell in love with I think dropped a little further than most expected wasn't even the first safety out of Utah to be taken um so I thought that was interesting he'll be a nice little versatile piece I think he'll complement Taylor Rapp their top pick in last year's draft who's kind of their in the box big safety hybrid linebacker almost I think Burgess might complement him nicely in doing kind of similar versatile things but more on the back end while Rapp can stay closer to the line yeah, I like those third-round picks. Uh, the Rams are just in an interesting position just because mm-hmm. they really have to kind of build on the fly here, especially when you yes. have a first-round pick. So nailing these mid-round picks to them, uh, you kind of have to take a risk on Terrell Lewis, even though he might not be healthy. If that right. thing turns out, you could really help out your situation here uh, without these first-round picks and the cap restrictions that you're going to have coming up. So, yeah, I thought it was a great job in the mid-rounds. Yeah, agreed. Even tight end Bryson Hopkins intrigues me if the kid can stay healthy. Didn't think they did great with those final four picks in rounds six and seven, but, you know, no point in nitpicking too much. It is uh, it is intriguing what the Rams are building, though, because they are in a tight spot all around. So they've got to maximize every resource they have. Yeah, and I even thought it was interesting they took a kicker. I mean, Greg Zerline's got one of the most powerful legs in the league. Uh, he did struggle a little bit last year, but, you know, you go back the past four or five years or whatever it is, yeah. he's been in the league. He's been one of the more reliable kickers. So I just thought that was interesting. I mean, For sure. Zerline is not the kicker this year. Who knows? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, greats? Let us see. It's a C plus considering where they're drafting. They got four guys in my top hundred. You you come out with four starters in this draft, you're going to be very happy. Yeah, I was going to say B B minus. Um, just the job that they did yeah. about the first round pick and the holes that they were still able to fill. It's pretty impressive. So that's where I'm going to land. Yeah. All right. I like it. Uh, Before we jump into a recap of the receivers, we want to tell you about our great friends over at Breckenridge Brewery. Uh, If you guys haven't hit up the farmhouse yet, you've got to do it. Uh, I know that they're going to be open and all that kind of stuff once quarantine is over, but the packages that they're putting together during quarantine are worth taking advantage of. They have specials, uh, I I think, every day. Uh, sometimes they include free beer. Sometimes they have all sorts of different stuff. Uh, so, so be checking out the farmhouse and also be checking out the 15 can sampler from Breckenridge Brewery, which is now featuring the Strawberry Sky. You can find those pretty much anywhere you'd buy your beer from the liquor store to the grocery store, gas stations. But if you go to the Breckenridge Brewery website, you can use the beer locator to see exactly where Whatever Breckenridge beer you want to try will be located near you. Uh, Also want to give a shout out to MSU Denver online. Uh, If you guys are interested in picking up another degree or uh, changing career fields, staying in the same career field, but advancing yourself, 
making your resume more competitive, why not go check out the 40 different online programs that can get you a degree. Uh, there are over 750 different online courses. If you go to msudenver.com slash uh, or msudenver.com slash online, they'll get you all hooked up with all the information that you could possibly want about that stuff. Next up, we are going to break down this entire receiver class from top <laughs> to bottom. Um, let's just start here. Each of you, what is your best value pick at receiver from this whole draft? Oh, that's a nice question. Has to be Denzel Mims, right? Has to be. Late second on that kid in an Adam Gase offense with a nice young quarterback. I get he's raw, but at worst, he's what Robbie Anderson was with like five times the amount of upside year one. And you hope he can really turn into something special. I, yeah, I think Mims. I mean, everything, I, I get that, you know, he sometimes didn't play as good as the sum of his parts, you could say. But the guy checked off all boxes. I think he's going to be a pro and fairly competitive. Um, even in the worst case scenario, I think he's still like a top 30 NFL wide receiver, which late second, that's a good value pick. Um, and considering the upside, I, I think that's a first round talent that, you know, I would have taken him ahead of Van Jefferson and Chase Claypool and KJ Hamler and even Pittman and Higgins who have similar profiles, you know? Yeah. I mean, I do like the pick just because of the value you're getting. The thing that concerns me though, is the fit with the team. Cause you're going to be asking Mims to step in right away and contribute, which we talked about the last time I was on, you know, this guy could face some struggles early on just cause he's yeah. a bit more raw. True. So that does concern me a bit, but I mean, the sky's the limit for this guy, especially with Darnold healthy now. Um, you could really see, you know, Mims take off here in year one, I believe. All right. Well, tell us why Brian Edwards is the best value pick in the receivers. Come on, Jake. You've got a brand to maintain. Come on. I mean, third round, uh, 81st overall. I mean, yeah. Some of the guys that he was taking over, especially like Claypool, uh, you know, Hamler is kind of iffy there, but. You know, the Raiders might have actually gotten a wide receiver one here at pick 81, which is insane value, um, you know, provided he stays healthy, of course. But especially the fact that they, you know, took rugs in the uh, 12th overall. Then you get yeah. Bowden. Uh, they said they're going to play him more at running back first, but, you know, he's got right. that versatility. But Edwards, if healthy, could really have the biggest impact year one right away. Um, you know, saw it on the tape, just the polish with him, uh, his movement skills, his fluidity. He was just an awesome watch, and, you know, it's really intriguing to think if he stayed healthy throughout the process, how much higher this guy would have actually been drafted. Yeah. yeah. To it's me, really I, I really like that pick. A um, couple more names, I'll just throw them out there. I, I, Donovan Peoples-Jones in the sixth. Yeah. I, I think that that's good value that late. Mm-hmm. K.J. Hill in the seventh. Yeah. I, I think that's another one where you got somebody who you're confident in can do something for your team. Uh, even if he may not have the highest upside. Here's the more fun question. What was the most overdrafted receiver of this whole group? And I mean, that's kind of a, I think the worst value per my rankings 
might actually be, and we just talked about what a nice fit he is with the Rams, but it might actually be Van Jefferson in the second round. If not him, I think it's Devin DuVernay in the late third. I just didn't I think there were there were a lot of guys I would have rather had on my team than Duvernay. Um especially for the the Ravens. And I tell you what, I didn't love the pick of Joe Reed in the fifth either. I mean, the Chargers make up for it with the great value pick and KJ Hill, but I'm not sure Joe Reed was a great value pick considering some of the talented receivers in front of him that were still around. You know, someone that I kind of had questions of when he was drafted was T. Higgins. Um, I mean, you had Michael Pittman, LaVisca Chenault, K.J. Hamler, Chase Claypool there, all those guys. Yeah. On the first pick of day two, they go T. Higgins, um, especially when you have Auden Tate, who already kind of filled that role to a sufficient degree. Um, you're basically just getting a little bit of a step up, I think, in T. Higgins in terms of that role. Because um, the concerns I had about T. Higgins – were about everything before the catch. I mean, the route yeah. was okay, I guess, uh, but you never really saw him like get himself open. Um, he's more of a contested catch, body control type guy, and I just don't know if that's great value there at thirty third overall. All right, well, that's a that's a pretty good point there on Higgins. I like that. Yeah, I'm I'm glad that none of us killed the Eagles for drafting Jalen Rhaegar. I guess we went over Ayuk already. Yeah, T. Higgins would be the right name to bring up in that range. Well, well done, Jake. Well done. Thanks. <laughs> okay. Um, let's talk about the first-round receivers next. Let's just break this off into tiers. So, first one off the board, Henry Ruggs at number 12 to the Raiders. Then you get Jerry Judy. C.D. Lamb goes to the Cowboys. Jalen Rager, uh, as you said, goes to the Eagles. The Vikings get Justin Jefferson. 49ers get Brandon Ayuk. What do you guys think there? Is that what you expected in terms of the order? I think the only real surprise was Rager going over Jefferson, really. I mean, obviously, yeah, kind of falling was a bit of a shock as well. Um, but it makes sense that Ruggs was the first receiver drafted just because of the speed. I mean, we saw it in the 2019 draft. Even with his injuries, Marquise Brown was the first receiver taken just because mm-hmm. of the speed factor. So it's something that the NFL obviously values. And yes. it, it, history repeated itself again in 2020. Yeah, and I think that was kind of the trend for the top tier and every tier to follow was first guy in each tier drafted was kind of the faster guy. I think there was a clear, you know, Ruggs, first guy drafted in tier one, Rhaegar, first guy drafted in tier two. I would almost argue KJ Hamler, first guy drafted in tier three. Um, So we kind of saw that, you know, every step of the way with this deep receiver group, 37 guys drafted at the position. A couple of those guys are hybrids like Glenn Bowden and Antonio Gibson or what have you. But still, um, that is an absurd amount of guys. And I still, you know, I can look over a UDFA list and find you plenty of guys I think could, could make an NFL roster in this class um but that's really the takeaway i came away with and yeah i mean the first round receivers judy rugs being the first bama receiver taken a bit of a surprise Rhaegar being the first over jefferson a bit of a surprise but nothing too nothing too shocking i think until we got to the third round necessarily oh really and what surprised you in the third round well, there, like, Brian Edwards has no business being the third receiver drafted in the third round, you know, and 
Gandy Golden dropping out of there, Gabe Davis dropping out of there. When more gadget players like, I mean, look at all the third round receivers. Antonio Gibson, kind of gadgety, not really a position. Lynn Bowden, same thing. Brian Edwards, we just talked about, doesn't fit that mold. Devin Duvernay, I think he's kind of a gadget speed guy as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when there were sure things like Tyler Johnson, Gandy Golden, Gabriel Davis, he's in Quintez Cephas. Um, you know, and I was shocked a guy like De- Donovan People Jones dropped so far. Yeah. Because you just watch that Michigan offense and you really do think like, with a better quarterback, this guy could have been a stud. That whole offense with him and Nico Collins could have been something pretty special. Um, so, and I, d- I don't love him in Cleveland either, where he's going to have a hard time um, even making that roster. Yeah. Yeah, no, they're stacked at receiver. And that is one that's really interesting to me. And it's not a guy who we really keyed in on on this podcast. We never spent too much time talking about him, but knew he'd be around there probably in that like second round range. Third round range is where you feel more comfortable. But you look at him, six foot two, 212 pounds, fast. Like he has everything that you look for, except that you know, the numbers weren't there, but he had a bad quarterback at Michigan. That is kind of surprising that he slipped that late. Um, kind of wish the Broncos had swooped him up, though. Yeah, because, I mean, as much as we saw speed valued, I think, in a way, the the workout warriors were valued fairly highly. You know, there, there wasn't anyone, you know, Brian Edwards maybe dropped a little more than we thought, but had he been able to perform at the Combine, he probably goes uh, a round or two earlier, as we've mentioned, you know. The whole second round, second round was like nothing. Every other pick was a receiver, by the way. Um, Eight guys draft or seven guys receivers drafted in the second round alone. And, you know, those were all the workout guys. It really was kind of in some ways, the first two rounds, very up to chalk. And then we saw a little more division, but teams kept drafting receivers and kept drafting receivers and valuing speed above all, even though some guys did slip in here and there who uh, didn't necessarily fit that mold. All right. When you look at this whole list, top to bottom, who are some of the guys you're most excited to see actually play Um, and factor that fit in there too. You know, Brian Edwards going to the Raiders that help or hurt Van Jefferson, the Rams we kind of talked about who else sticks out to you. Um, I've got two. Uh, The first one in the first round, Justin Jefferson, just because he's going to step into a big role right away. And, you know, you look at the skill set Diggs had and Justin Jefferson had, they're really very similar. Mm -hmm. So I think you could see, not you're not going to see Diggs production right away. I don't think, I think right. that's pretty unfair, but I think you're going to see someone that could come in and fill that role. I mean, they still have Thielen there, but other than that, the receiving core is really kind of weak. So yes. Packed right away. And he has the route running ability. He's got the hands, the body control. So he's going to get open and he's going to be able to make some plays. What are your thoughts on him not being used as much in the slot? That's the interesting thing because sure. – I think Thielen works really well out of the slot. Um, obviously, Jefferson played a lot out of the slot, so it's a pretty rough projection if yeah. Jefferson's going to be asked to play outside more. But, you know, we mentioned the ability to get open through route running. He's got the speed. He's got the body control, got the hands. Yeah. You, know, you just didn't really see the releases off the line just because he was coming wide open out of the slot all the time. But, you know, he, like I said, he showed the body control. He's got the 
year of time with him. Uh, I think he'll be okay. You might see some growing pains year one, but I think he will eventually be okay in that outside role. I mean, they're still going to get him into the slot every now and then. So it'll, it'll be fine. I think. Yeah. Completely agree. Who's your second guy. So Michael Pittman, Mm, yeah i am really intrigued by this one just because i mean when's the last time he'll had another wide receiver opposite you got to go back to reggie wayne andre johnson like this is seven years ago Mm -hmm. so and i really like Pittman. i thought he was you know on the edge of that tier two for me so i like that he went as high as he did uh, just to kind of validate that but i really think he can make a difference um you know you look at philip rivers coming in Pittman kind of plays like Mike Williams. So you're getting that same type of receiver in there. Um, Whether Rivers is able to actually get the ball to him, I mean, we've seen the kind of the accuracy and the ball placement kind of degrading over the years here. So we'll see how that works out. But I just love the the fit there, especially with Hilton being able to take the top off. Pittman's going to be able to work underneath, and I think it's a great fit. Yeah. Yeah. I'd have to, I mean, you look at this whole list, there's, there are a few names you could say and not really create a good argument or uh, sound completely off, but I think Judy is the guy who really stands out. I always thought he was the most NFL ready in this, in the Pat Shermer offense. I really like his fit. And as we know, with the Broncos, he's going to have nothing but opportunities with the lack of receiver depth over the last few years in the Mile High City. So, yeah, I really think, um, I really think Judy's just poised to have. I went over because we're doing prop bets for uh, DMVR bets daily on uh, rookie receiving yards. And uh, so I, I went over and I compiled data for, you know, rookie receivers and their production over the last 10 years. Um, and there are just a couple guys over the last decade as rookie receivers to go over a thousand yards. AJ Brown was amazingly able to do it despite like less than 60 catches last year. Um, and Odo Beckham Jr. of course blew up on the scene and was able to pull it off too. I think Jerry Judy is going to be one of those rare guys, kind of similar to Amari Cooper's another one who can really have that a rare breakout season as a rookie at the receiver position and put up over, over a thousand yards. And uh, yeah, it's pretty exciting. All right. Oh no, you go ahead, Jake. I mean, I haven't gotten a chance to gush about Judy on here with you guys. Yeah, please do. I kind of want to take the the opportunity. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I couldn't have been more excited just watching how the draft worked. You know, I mean, I was doing my thing during the draft, but after the first round, I went back and watched your guys' draft show and just just how it all fell, just so perfect. Oh, I know. It's, it's incredible. And, you know, I love Cortland Sutton, but kind of like Ryan said, I wouldn't be surprised if Judy is, you know, wide receiver one right away. I mean, this guy, yep. he's just – something Andre said too, he's one of those guys that when you watch um, as you're evaluating, you kind of – you know, you're, you're kind of hesitant to project him on your team because it just never really works out that way. You're never really right. going to get those super to always fall to you and it actually happened. So it was just super surprising that it actually happened and he's on the Broncos and I couldn't be more excited to watch him play. Yeah. I, I still can't believe it because, because I, as, when we have these conversations, I just think back to last summer when I'm trying to talk about Visca's draft prospects at that point, we were saying, you know, he could squeak his way up. He's part of that top three with C.D. Lamb. Like, we're making that fight. And at the same time, like, watching Jerry Judy, just thinking, like, 
I don't know how he's going to overtake Jerry Judy. And for this to all have come full circle is pretty cool. But uh, That's crazy. While I'm bringing up Bisco, what do you guys think of his fit with the Jaguars? It's tough, man. It's yeah. it's the classic. I like the play because of the team and the fit. I mean, Minshew did some things, but I'm still not completely sold on him. Yeah. Uh, Park did have a nice year one to two jump. Mm-hmm. So I could see it working. Obviously, the health is a concern too. But Jacksonville's where careers go to die, man. So it's it sucks to see him go to a place like that. Um, I mean, I said on the last uh, podcast, if he went to somewhere like Baltimore, man, this that would have just been a home run pick, I think. Yep. Just Or even San Francisco, just somewhere where you know that you can trust the coaching staff and that he's going to be used, uh, his versatility to the utmost extent. I just don't know if that happens here in Jacksonville. Uh, I would have loved him in San Francisco instead of Ayuk. That would have been another phenomenal fit. Yeah, and I wonder with Fournette maybe not really being their guy, will they use him more at running back? I don't see a great fit in a Jake Rudin offense, though in fairness that offense has been able to get receivers to produce. Um and yeah, how will he work if an offense is catered a little more to Minshew and going more shotgun heavy, spread heavy? It's um, it's an odd fit. I mean, as I was going through this list, I could have basically said any receiver in the first two rounds, aside from Visca and uh, and Mims, I think, because those those are guys who are going to take a little more time. And I don't know that I like the fit for Mims. He's just not going to be an immediate contributor. Visca though. Yeah. We, we really got to figure out, I mean, Jay Gruden, I think is a great play caller. So I, I hope he can see what a unique talent Visca is and really put him in the right places. But yeah, I'm skeptical. Okay. Um, one more guy I want to touch on and that's Chase Claypool who went to the Steelers in the second round. I think he was drafted a little bit earlier than I expected. Um, I know some people were saying he was going in the first round, though, so maybe that's a me thing. But what do you see him doing for the Steelers? Yeah, really, because they already acquired Eric Ebron in the offseason, too, so they kind of have that receiving tight end. And, you know, I I think they like the young wide receivers and James Washington and Juju Smith-Schuster and Deontay Johnson there. So, yeah, how does he fit for him to be the first pick of the Steelers who didn't have, you know, obviously didn't have a first rounder for him to be the first pick? For them to prioritize him over others is kind of surprising. And I wonder if they're trying to recreate uh, Martavis Bryant a little bit and see if they can use him kind of like that as a deep threat outside or if they want to make him the big slot. I'm not quite sure. Do you have any idea, Jake? You know, I mean, I just couldn't be more intrigued with this pick. I thought it was one of the more interesting picks in the entire draft just because you look at Pittsburgh's track record with drafting receivers receivers yeah they're the ones that took this guy i mean do they maybe see the potential calvin johnson ceiling with this guy because he fits the athletic profile he has the size he has the speed Mm -hmm. so that's why i'm really intrigued by this um where he fits early on i don't really know like you said ebron's already coming in um maybe he gets uh, with claypool coming in you get juju back into the slot which would be my ideal but i mean if this guy's able to hit a ceiling I mean, this is just as a home run pick as much as any in the entire draft, especially in the stacked wide receiver draft. So just the the overall fit with the team 
is just, I couldn't be more intrigued by that really. Hmm. Um, are there any more guys that you two want to talk about before we move along? Um, you know, Andre talked about Devin Duvernay. Um, and I mentioned Chenault and how he would have fit on that team. Mm-hmm. And I do think they kind of see some of that in Duvernay. I mean, he is really a wide a running back playing wide receiver when you look at his body type. So maybe they put him in the backfield. Maybe they get him running some option stuff. You know, you get him on that jet motion, kind of run an orbit option or something with him. Um, I think that'd be pretty interesting. Um, a bit tough as a receiver projection just because will he play out of the slot? Um, he can play outside really. So that's the tough thing about him. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's a couple other guys we could talk about, I guess. But All right. Um, while we wait for Dre to load in. Oh, Dre, there you are. Okay. Uh, was there anybody else that you wanted to talk about with these receivers? No, I think, um, I think especially with starting the show, talking about the NFC West, and guys like Ayuk and Van Jefferson being some of the more intriguing guys selected in that division. Uh, I think we've basically covered all the uh, all the top dogs. Um, yeah, what we'll see if this class lives up to the hype. I am so excited to see how this class pans out. I guess we'll talk about it when we go over the NFC East. Crazy what the Eagles did, adding all that speed at receiver. Yeah. I mean, just across the board, they've got a straight up track team. Um, yeah, you know, maybe one guy, Darnell Mooney from Tulane, the speedster going to the bears and what Matt Nagy is trying to do with that offense and how they're trying to switch things up. Very intrigued by that selection, uh, to see how they make him work and coexist with, you know, other kind of specialty guys like Terry Cohen that are on that team. So yeah, I guess that's, that's my final notes there. All right. Uh, Before we get to all of your guys' questions, uh, we want to tell you more about DraftKings. DraftKings Sportsbook is incredible. It just opened in Colorado a couple weeks ago because finally, Colorado, it is now legal to bet on sports, which has been a lot of fun for all of us at DMDR. And hopefully you guys are betting through DraftKings Sportsbook as well. It's it's not an offshore company. This is totally legal. And that's even more important in times like this when we don't even know if the games are going to get played. If, right. if you're on one of these offshore betting services, then putting down a, a bet on the Broncos going over seven and a half wins this year which you should be doing, uh, then there's a chance that the season isn't played. They could keep your money. There might be some way that they get around that. They don't have to follow laws. Meanwhile, in Colorado, if the games aren't played, you get your money back, and DraftKings will follow the law. That's what makes legal betting so much fun. Um, uh, and it's allowed for sales and promos like any other legal business. You know, It's been amazing. I, uh, I applied a free $20 bet to one of my KBO picks last night. It's, uh, it's great. There's, there's just so many cool products they have in there and we're collaborating with them, putting in our special props in there. You can only get those from DraftKings. It's just a a no brainer to sign up and get on there. It's the app's dope. So lots of fun. Yeah. It seems like every day there's some sort of bonus, whether it's an odds post in the KBO, whether I think yesterday I got a notification say if I place three parlays and I get a free $5 bet. Uh, I think 
yeah, tomorrow because I've already bet 20 bucks on the Tiger versus Phil match. Or no, that's Sunday, not tomorrow. I keep thinking that's on Saturday. But uh, <laughs> then, then I get a free $20 live bet during it too. And so there's all sorts of this different kind of stuff going on. It's so much fun. Um, it makes the sports that we tend to ignore a lot more fun to watch while they're the only sports that we have. So download the top rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use the code DNVR when you sign up for a limited time. All new users can get a sign up bonus up to $1,000. That's right. DraftKings Sportsbook has a sign up bonus up to $1,000. Don't forget, enter the code DNVR and get your sign up bonus up to $1,000. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older. Colorado only. Bonus comprised of a first deposit bonus and the first bet match, each up to $500. Deposit bonus requires 25 times playthrough. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. All right. Uh, back to the, back to the <laughs> questions. Um <laughs> <sighs> Dre just held his phone up to his ear. <laughs> I, I was going to not say anything, but then we're all laughing. Okay. Um, <laughs> okay. The question, starting with Jimmy Balls. Also, this go. one's my bad. I should say this. I accidentally put this in the Colorado Buffaloes podcast feed on the website. So if you weren't able to find the post, that one's on me, as you guys probably guessed. And uh, it'll be in the Broncos page again next week. We promise we weren't trying to make things hard for you. Uh, Jimmy Balls says, hey, guys, looking back on the players you were high on from the 2019 NFL draft, which players are making you look real smart, which ones disappointed, and which ones do you expect to make a big leap in year two? Yeah, I'll start um, right off the bat. A guy who made me look really smart very early on is Terry McLaurin. Super high on Terry. Fell in love with him at the at the Senior Bowl talking to him super personable he uh yeah he made me look really good the whole broncos draft class has made me look good a guy that i definitely um i i need to see some major improvements in year two is quinn williams my only elite grade um in the 2019 class nick bosa of course missed that entire final year due to injury so he didn't quite qualify I should have been more picky, though, because Quinn and Williams was a bit of a one-year wonder, but I just saw such a game-in, game-out, snap-in, snap-out dominance from the young interior defender that I, I had to slap a, an elite grade. And the early returns from his rookie season at the Jets were not that great. Um, Ed Oliver also uh, already kind of going through a tumultuous uh, part of his career. Um, hopefully he gets that figured out and doesn't look too bad. I guess DeAndre Baker is another guy I was fairly high on in that draft class who's also in some hot water right now. That's the thing that makes the draft so hard, though, man. you got to be picky. you got to really check off all the boxes to, to rank a guy super high. And you got to hope some fluky character stuff doesn't come up. Because DeAndre Baker, there were no character concerns. You know, it's... But sometimes... It, 22 year olds do stupid stuff that's it that's yeah that's baked into all of this it doesn't matter who the 22 year old is you're gonna do dumb stuff from time to time you just hope it's not something that's a career challenging like what some of those guys are going through right now yeah uh that kind of made me look smart uh, was aj brown um, you go back yeah. to last year and, you know, it was a super heated debate, you know, DK Metcalf, AJ Brown, mm -hmm. just the whole receiving, uh, receiving options in last year's draft. 
but I was on AJ Brown over DK Metcalf the entire time and he outproduced him. I thought he looked better early on than DK mm-hmm. Metcalf. Um, I, I was worried about the fit when he went to Tennessee because at yeah. the time Mariota was the quarterback and right. he was still producing even when Mariota was the quarterback. So you said, um, you know, going back to last year at the SIS, um, the draft guide that we wrote, I had to do DeAndre Baker. And so I was like, yes, I got cornerback one, super high on him. Right. And, you know, obviously not completely off on the field, um, even though he did struggle. Yeah. Uh, that one hurt. Uh, Hakeem Butler was another guy that I was high on. I learned Same. a lot from that pick. Um, well, tell us about that. That one, man, I think – what it really boils down to is these contested catch guys because I saw the frame and I saw his ability to make contested catches and that really kind of blew me away. And it's something that I was cautious about going through that draft process, but I really learned from it just because those contested catch guys really struggle to translate. Um, Just the fact that he hurt his finger, I think it was, and that put him on IR early on. I think the Arizona saw that he really wasn't ready in the other aspects of his game in terms of the technical side. So I think that's probably the biggest lesson I learned from that pick. Yeah, lots of takes on the on the wide receivers from 2019, just hearing you talk. I mean, from Butler to the two Ole Miss kids, Metcalf and Brown, uh, Scary Terry, of course, was there. It was a really intriguing wide receiver class for sure. Yeah. Um, I'll throw in mine real quick since you guys have much more interesting analysis. Uh, My win, I'll I'll take Drew Locke. I don't think that needs much more context. I did really like Rashawn Gary, though. Uh, I thought Rashawn Gary was going to be a star immediately. But, uh, you know, slow start. I'm still confident. I would have hoped for more than two sacks last year, but I do think that he's going to take off here pretty quick. Um, Next question is from Hip Hip. Who Ray? I forgot. I, or no, it's you, Ray. They, I, I pre-read this comment, so I wouldn't. You, Ray. Right. Yep. Good he job. says, "Boys, <laughs> I really like the all rookie teams you guys came up with. It's going to be an interesting season coming up. That's for sure." My question for this week is: Can you guys give me a couple of rookie running backs that will be potential sleepers for a fantasy football team in this upcoming season? As always, keep up the great work. Go Broncos and go DMVR. You guys don't have to read this out loud unless you want to. P.S. My username is pronounced Hip Hip You Ray, not. Ure, I got the idea from my hometown, the southwest part of the state, in the heart of the San Juan Mountains. The name of the town was, or yeah, the name of the town was named after the great Ute chief called Chief Ure. Don't worry, Hank, I correct people all the time on the pronunciation. I decided I to read that. it because I think that everybody should know how to say Ure. Yeah, that was great, and a you know important story on a, a little American history there. Apparently, San Juan has mountains. Um, does anybody have any answer to the question? Yeah, I think the guy that really stands out to me as a fantasy sleeper is Josh Kelly. Obviously, I come in, liked him a lot, um, you know, starting the process off. But Eckler's there. Eckler is not a a down-in, down-out, 20 carries a a game back. The only other running back in front of Josh Kelly on on that depth chart is really Justin Jackson, the former Northwestern kid. I've never been too high on him. I think Joshua Kelly has a great opportunity to come in, get, you know, double digit carries quite early. And I like the way he runs. I like the way he catches the ball. I think he can be decent in pass protection. He was a stud in the Pac-12 for two consecutive years. 
They drafted him early fourth, so they see they value him high enough to where he could be an immediate producer. He stands out as a huge uh, potential fantasy sleeper to me. Yeah, I mean, we talked about Eno Benjamin. That might not be someone, you know, to draft and target right away. Right. But he's someone I definitely star and watch list him. Yes. Um, just if he – the reports coming out of training camp are good enough, and if he has, you know, one or two good preseason games, I think he, at that point, he would be worth a late-round selection. Um, not really a sleeper, but, man, I couldn't be higher on Jonathan Taylor with the Colts fit. Um I mean, I took him in the third round in one of my dynasty drafts. Uh, we started a new draft, so it was, you know, first through 25th. And I took him in the third round, though. I thought this would be an excellent fit just with the offensive line his, and his running. Um, I just couldn't be more excited about that fit. I think he's in, in place for a really, really big year. Yeah, you I, think of, like, how Jay Ajay was running in that Frank Reich offense uh, when the, the Eagles won it all. I think Jonathan Taylor fits perfectly. Sorry, Hank, go ahead. Oh, no, that, that was a great point. I, I totally agree. Um, I think if I were to rank these running backs in fantasy value, like Clyde Edwards-Alaire, very far yes. away, number one. Jonathan Taylor, right up there. But mm-hmm. in terms of real sleepers, uh, I like we said about, you know, Benjamin, a guy keep an eye on. In that same vein, I'd say A.J. Dillon. Maybe don't draft him, but keep an eye on him because yeah. we just don't know how he's going to be used. I mean, there's a good chance he's getting a lot of the goal line touches, and, and that's something you like. Mm-hmm. I mean, if, if it's a PPR league, then you really like him because they are going to move him around a little bit. But there's still a bunch of questions, like how, how many carries is he actually getting behind Aaron Jones? Uh, also, is, is he playing just a true fullback position and blocking a lot? In which case, definitely don't touch him. Um, I also really like Cam Akers, who we talked Dude, about quite a bit earlier. But, yeah, I, I think that that's another guy who is definitely worth drafting. Um, right, and maybe in a dynasty you're not getting great value on Akers, but in a redraft where you're, like, down to the last two rounds and J.K. Dobbins and all the big-name running backs who are drafted in the first two rounds are long gone, Cam Akers, a little lesser known, I think he'd be a great value in a redraft uh, towards the end of that because yeah i think he's rb1 in la pretty quickly yeah uh one more guy too antonio gibson just with the surrounding yeah. situation yep. uh darius Geis's health has been up in the air the past couple of years yeah peterson's at the end of his career this guy could be in line for some serious touches in year one yep great point love that name too All right, we have one more question. This one coming in from The Count. And I'm pretty sure this is one that we're going to push to next week because The Count asks very good, very detailed questions that require some prep work. But just so you guys will get all hyped up for next week's draft pod, here's what The Count has to say. Gents, kudos on the all-rookie draft. Well played on both sides. Epic work by both of you. Simone wins, but just barely, by an unmanscaped hair, as I've noted on Twitter. However, (laughs) this new challenge will give Big Hank a chance to even the score. But this is tougher game, and not for the faint of heart, which neither of you draft titans are, of course. The challenge, draft your all-century team... 2000 to 2020 each player receives 20 selections one each in the first round of every season's draft and then five udfa selections why 25 you must select your kicker and punter as, and returner as well use the reversal snake formula dm me if this doesn't make sense stop after the 20 selections and just go back and forth with udfas thus mimicking free agency more accurately begin with a coin flip no points for second place boys godspeed love the count 
Wow. Okay. <laughs> That's going to be a fun one. Sounds like I've got a weekend project now. All right. <laughs> if you guys have any questions, leave them in the post for today's show at thedmbr.com. We'll get to them when we do this again next week. Thank you, Jake, for coming on. Uh, really appreciate all you do at thedmbr or at thedmbr.com. And also when you come on these podcasts, I'm sure we'll be doing this again soon. Um, and also thank you, Dre. This was Thank I, you, Hank. I feel, we, I feel weird not thanking you when your face is right next to Jake's on my screen. Uh, okay. I'll well, thank both of you then. Thank you guys for having me. Uh, it's always a bunch of fun. Looking forward to the next time. Yeah, okay, dude. We love it. I'm it's pretty great. sure everybody has thanked everybody except for Dre thanking Jake. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, thank, thanks, Jake. Uh, okay. Great having you here. <laughs> okay. <You're welcome. laughs> we, we, can, we can end the show now. Um, well, Dre and I will be back next week. You guys will be hearing more from Jake, of course. Uh, and we'll see you then.